Back in my younger days, when I lived in Detroit, Michigan, there was a group of us guys that did this fundraiser, and it was a bike ride where you got people to volunteer to pay per mile. And in the middle of the Detroit River was an island. It was called Belle Isle, and it was this long, skinny thing, and it was exactly a five-mile circle around it. So we had to um, go around this island, and every time you passed the start-finish line, they'd give you a little clip to put on your handlebars. And my commitment was 100 miles that day. And uh, so I had to get 20 clips. Now, what happened during that ride is the wind was very, very strong. So going north was very, very easy. The wind was at my back. But then you had to loop the corner and come back and head south. And that was horrible. It was horrible. You're going into it and you're fighting it. And I was trying to duck between, behind big crowds to try to get a windbreak and doing whatever I could to do it. So going down the, the, the north strip, you're just humming along and everything was fine. Going south was, oh no, i got to do this. And I did that 20 times that day. That's today's message. When you're going with the Lord, everything's fine. But when you're going against the Lord, it's like riding into that wind. That's what it's like. So with that being said, let's, uh, let's get into today's message. Okay? Um, last week we introduced the subject of three lives and three deaths. We talked about physical life and death. We talked about eternal life and death, but then I introduced a new one to you that I'm pretty sure that the first two didn't surprise you, but the third one was probably something we haven't spent a lot of time on. I know I didn't, and that was relational life and death. And if you remember, I gave you a couple of verses to try to introduce that subject. I used Luke 15:32. This is the prodigal son. I'm sorry, this is the father talking to his oldest son about the youngest son. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Now that wasn't a physical death. He was alive when he was wasting his inheritance on wine, women, and song. He was not eternally dead because he was still the sons in terms of that particular case. But in this particular case, there was a dead and it was a relational debt. And he God came to himself, and now he's back home, and he's got fellowship with the Father again. It's that fellowship I want to talk to you about. A second witness we talked about last week was talking about widows. Now she that is a widow indeed trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayer night and day. But she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she liveth. That sounds like an oxymoron, right? How can someone be dead when they live? Well, you can be <clears throat> not dead physically, but you can be dead in such a case where you're stupor. And I think the most ridiculous, extreme example of that was someone that was in the deep throes of, let's say, a heroin addiction. They're alive, they're breathing, they're eating food on occasion, but their life is just so torn up, going from high to high to high and come down and, and, and just sleeping. It's just, they're dead. They, they cease to live while they're breathing. Okay. So it's that kind of thing I'd like to talk about as a relationship with God. Sometimes we can be very much thriving and living in that relationship with God, and other times that relationship with God can be very weak. It's like going against the wind. Now, as we talk about this particular subject, 
I want you to understand that, that as we're talking about this, I am talking about a relationship with you and our Heavenly Father or, or Jesus Christ. But the principles here would apply to any relationship you have. It certainly will apply between husband and wife. It'll apply between parent and child. It'll apply between sibling and sibling. It could apply between coworkers, between boss and and, an employee, or a a person and a customer. These these principles certainly go over here, but the only difference is when we're talking people to people, you got two sinners going at it. But when we're talking about God and a sinner, there's only one person making the error. So this is where it's a little bit unique, but the principles are still there and we can learn. Okay. I want to give you one more verse. This is a a new one. Try to introduce this subject. Okay. This is going to be the outline that I plan to use today. This is in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Enter ye into a straight grate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go therein. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. There's a life there. What life is it? I think that's a relational life. I don't think it's talking about a physical life. I don't think it's talking about eternal life. I think it's talking about a relational life. And few there be that find it. See, it's so easy to say that's the people out there. Those are the people that don't go to church. No, I think there's people in church that aren't experiencing that life. So we're looking at this with a mirror at ourselves, not looking at people outdoors out there. This is for us. Okay? That's for us. Okay. Now, when I speak of relationship, I'm talking about fellowship. I'm not talking about sonship. And I like to use the example of adoption. The Bible uses adoption to talk about our relationship with God. It's like if I would go to the orphanage right now and adopt a 12-year-old child, he would be in my child. He'd get a name. He'd be in my home. But you know what? He doesn't know me from Adam. We don't have a very good experience. We don't have any kind of fellowship yet. We got a relationship. He's my son, but he's not close with me. And it takes years to get that fellowship together, to, to, to earn that trust. Okay? So we're talking about fellowship, not sonship. We're, hopefully we're clear on that. We're talking about our relationship with God, right? Members of a church. We're talking about our fellowship right now. Okay, okay. here's the, the thing that's, as I bear down on the subject, the first thing a regenerate person needs to do is they need to repent. Okay? Now, my definition of repent is getting your head and your mind straight, your heart and your mind straight. Okay? And I'll go, this, this is the outline of the whole sermon. The second thing we need to do is we need to convert. We need to get our behaviors straight. Yes? And the third thing we need to do is we need to do all that for with the right motive. Okay? Let me give you an example. The motive is the one we miss. Let's pretend we had two very, very wealthy individuals here. And one of them says, I'm going to donate a million dollars to this hospital. And the second person says, I'm going to vote to donate a million dollars to this hospital. The first one donates it because the pain and suffering that some of these children in this little hospital are experiencing, he wants to do whatever he or she wants to do, whatever they can do just to relieve the pain. The second one does it 
because that person wants the name on the wall. Do you understand the difference? From the outside, it looks like the behaviors are exactly the same. So you can do things. You could do the right things. You can do them for the right, for the wrong reasons. Okay? All you have to do is ask any husband and wife. I can do the right things, but it's motivated because something I want down the road. And you know what? She knows me well enough to know when the motive's not right. And it doesn't do lickety split for my relationship with her. And one place that really shows up is, y'all know I used to be a former high school teacher. They know the real deal when they're looking at a teacher. And they know when you're just trying to get them to go ahead just because you want to look good and you want to have all these kids getting good scores versus you are sincerely interested in them and you're trying to prepare them to be adults in the world. They can tell the difference, right? And I'll flip it around. I've got children that want to do things. And I know the difference when they're doing dad and I'm doing those chores just because if I don't, you'll be on back and punish me and I don't get the car this weekend, right? But then there's other times you see kids doing the chores because they just want to say, Dad, thank you for all your sacrifices and whatever else I can do to serve you, that's what I want to do. And, you know, one relationship is just so much deeper and richer than the other. So that's what we're talking about. It's possible for church-going people that appear to be righteous to be doing the right things for the wrong reason. And you know what? They miss out. They miss out. Okay? I'll give you one more verse right here. Matthew seven twenty one. Look what it says here. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Remember, the kingdom of heaven is a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not heaven, otherwise they would have said heaven. This is the kingdom of heaven. This is realizing and experiencing that and taking joy here on earth. This is heaven on earth. In order to do that, he that doeth the will of my Father, which is heaven. Can a father and a child have a good relationship when the child is constantly lying to them? No, it just doesn't happen. Right? Can a husband and a wife have a good relationship with one of them's always secretly spending and blowing the budget out of the water? No, no it's, just, it's not going to be close. Do you understand? Well, it's the same way with God. You can't say to go... God, you're supposed to love everybody. Bless me. I love Jesus. Everything's okay. And then you're totally ignoring all his commandments. It just doesn't work that way. And, and one more in the form of review. Last week, we closed with two men. We closed with King Saul and we closed with King David. You remember King Saul? King Saul was a mess. At one time, he was really humble man. He was God's leader. He was, he, he was very merciful. He was very submissive. He, was, he couldn't believe God picked him. He served him, and he served him out of jealousy for God. He was a dynamite king. But then he got full of himself, right? And at the very end of his life, this is, this is another shocker to people, okay? God tends to withdraw from children that disobey him. When you draw near unto him and you're obeying him and you're close to him, he draws near unto you. But when you ignore him, he starts backing away from you. Now you think, no, that's not what's on all the commercials. I don't care what's on the commercials. I want to know what's in the Bible. Do you understand? 
So the Lord will withdraw from you. That's one of the worst things. When I was ignoring my dad, he, he backs up. He says, okay, you making that decisions? Let's see what the natural consequences are. Oh, that scared the daylights more than when he hollered at me. You understand? Well, God does that sometimes. He'll back away. Okay? So that's what happened to King Saul. He backed away. And Saul said, the Lord has departed from me. Not once did he ever repent. Not once did he ever convert. Not once did he ever mourn not having the relationship with God. He just said, I'm in a jam and I need help. That was all his focus. And last week we went to David and David was right the opposite. He says, I don't care about the jam. I messed up. And he repented and he converted and he says, Lord, just don't depart from me. I need to be near you. Two men and, 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 and Saul ignored all three of those things, the repent, the convert, and the motive, correct motive. And David was right the opposite, repent, convert, and the right motive. Complete different spectrums. And that's what I would like to dive into today. Okay? We're going to look at folks in the Bible that did it both ways. Okay, let's look at um, John the Baptist. And, and this message of repent... In our modern culture, we don't hear it a lot. But it was the first thing that was preached in the Old Testament. It was the first thing that was preached in the New Testament. First message out of John, repent. First message out of Jesus, repent. First message out of the disciples, repent. First message after Pentecost, repent. First message by the apostles when they went out, repent. Why? Because you can't enjoy that full fellowship with the Lord unless you get your mind and your head and your heart straight, in tune, align with God. Okay? Uh, Matthew 3, verse 2, and then I'm going to jump down to 5 through 8. It says, this is John the Baptist preaching, and he said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he baptized those confessing their sins. Sounds good so far. But then there was some Pharisees and Sadducees that came up, and he says, No, I'm not going to baptize you. And he says, Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. In other words, you were giving me lip service, but I don't see any of the behaviors to back it up. And for now, I'm going to back up and say, hold off a little bit. It sounds like John the Baptist was being pretty rough on him. No, he wasn't judging for his sake. He wasn't judging to keep the church holy. He was doing it for their sake, because if they truly wanted a relationship with the Lord, they needed to go through these steps. You cannot circumvent those steps and say, oh, everything's great with God. You will be like riding south on the Belle Isle going in the middle of the Detroit River. You'll be fighting it all the way. Okay? In Luke 3, 8, this is also John the Baptist. I love this. What are fruits meet for repentance? I'm going to give you a couple. Some people asked that very questions of John the Baptist, and they came up to him and they said, okay, John, what does that mean? What do you want us to do? And there was some people there, and he says, well, one of these behaviors is, is he that hath two coats impart to him that hath none. In other words, look around for some of the people around you and help those out in need. To, 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 to some publicans, he said, the way you're going to do that, exact no more than which is appointed. See, back then, the publicans had a lot of authority. And they would go up to you and they'd say, Brandon, you, they'd look in the books and say, Brandon, you owe me 10 talents. 
And they say, Brandon, you owe me 12 talents. And he'd take 10, put t- 10 and put it in the coffer. The other two would go in his pocket. That was what the, 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 the pattern of the publicans were. And John says, you know what you need to do? He said, charge the guy 10, put the 10 in the coffer and nothing for your own pocket. He says, that's the fruit meat for repentance. Start black, stop blackmailing people. Threatening people. And he told the soldiers, do violence to no man, accuse no man falsely, and be content with your wages. The same thing. Oh, so you can't get close to God and be doing all those things. Seeing someone in need and just hoarding it for yourself. Overcharging people. Or being rough on people and scaring things. You can't, you can't do that and say, Lord, I want a relationship with you. Okay? No, no. Then you can say, Dad, I want to be closer to you, but then lie to him all the time. It's just not going to happen. It's going to be at arm's length. Well, the father's not being forgiving enough. There's still a trust factor there. You try again and again and forgive and forgive, but the relationship won't be there. Okay? All right. Let's go to the next one, Esau. This is an interesting case. You may want to go to your Bibles on this one. This is in Hebrews 2. I've kind of paraphrased it here. But Esau is a, a sight. He was a mess. Okay? This is what it says. It's, it's talking about sinners. It says, any fornicator or profane person, as Esau was, it said, he sold his birthright and was rejected, and he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Wait a second. Here's a guy that's being careful to show repentance, but God rejected his repentance. What's going on there? Let me show you Esau. Esau did not want, really was worried about the repentance because he wanted the relationship with the Lord. He wasn't worried about conversion because he wanted a relationship with the Lord. You know what his eye was? It was on the birthright that he lost. And what it describes there is his father Isaac was very upset that he married people outside the faith. And his other son, his brother, Jacob, married in the faith. So Jacob is looking that. Jacob's pleased his father. Esau's watching that. He's married outside. He got a couple wives outside. That was polygamy back then. Had a couple wives outside. And he goes, oh, okay. If I marry in the faith, then dad will be happy with me. So he took a couple wives from the faith. Notice he didn't put away the old wives. So he went from two wives to four wives. So I know I'm being silly, but at the family reunions, he showed up with wife three and four, and he left one and two at home. No, that's not really what happened. I'm speculating, okay? And thank you, Amber, for smiling for my silliness. But, but, but he was not trying to please the father. His goal was on the birthright, and that's why it was rejected. Now, he might have fooled Isaac, his dad, but you know who he didn't fool? The Lord. Okay? You might fool the people around you, but you won't fool the Lord. We think we're pretty slick sometimes. I do. I might be able to fool you. I rarely can fool my wife, but I could never fool God, right? That's going to hinder me. And, and there's the, the reference, Genesis 28, 6 through 9, okay? Let's look at another case. Let's look at Israel. This is Israel, too. Now, you remember, um, 
um, Israel was 12 tribes, and then there was a split, and they had 10 tribes to the north and two tribes to the south. So basically they split into two nations, 10 to the north and two to the south, which was called Judah. And both of them went through the same thing. They went through the loops and valleys and judges, and then after they had their kings, they each had their own kings for a while, and they operated, and they got into jams. And, and they had armies come up, the Philistines, the Moabites, the, 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 the Gibeonites. People were attacking them all the time. And they would say, Lord, we need your help. Or there would be a famine or a dearth or a pestilence. they say, Lord, we need your help. And God would tell them, he says, wait a second. You're sacrificing babies to your idols. You're putting up with sodomy. You're putting up with all these sins. All these things are abomination in my eyes. And they're going, yeah, 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 but, but, but we need your help. We love you. And God said, no, you've got these sins in your life. You need to clean this mess up. And I don't care if it's a person. I don't care if it's a family. I don't care if it's a local church. I don't care if it's a nation. I don't care if it's a denomination that covers many nations. You can't put that nonsense on God and ignore these sins that you're just not doing it and just saying, Lord, I want to go right to the blessing. I want to skip the repentance. I want to skip the conversion. I want to skip the right motive. I want the blessing. God doesn't work that way. We want him to work that way. But you know what? He's not a genie. Rub the bottle, get what you want. He's a father. And good fathers say no, they say yes, and they say not yet. Okay? So, here's an example. Here's another example of the narrow way. John. I gave you a couple negative examples. I want to give you a positive example. John, the apostle John, not John the Baptist. John the, he, he was something else. You look at him, you look at his writings, you look at his behavior. The only thing he ever focused on is he wanted to be as close as possible to Jesus in every way possible. And that includes literally. In uh, John 13, 23, it says, Now leaning on Jesus' bosom was one of the disciples whom Jesus loved. John the Apostle just... Now, it's hard for me as a man to relate, but he just wanted to be so close to Jesus that he just tuck his head right on his chest. Now, I, I can see myself doing that at 8 or 10. But at 30, oh, I'm too much to do that, right? But, but that's what his relationship, he just had to be that close with Jesus. Okay? And, and he got the description whom Jesus loved. There was a special interaction between those two that was just special compared to the other, three, other tw- 11, Right? And his writings were completely different also. Okay? There's a lot to learn from John. Okay? Notice what he writes in the beginning of 1 John. I'm going to read this 1 through 4. But notice the way he describes this. And i got another thing I want to challenge you. Go look in a concordance and look up the word love. Okay? See how many times the word love shows up in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then see how many times the word love shows up in the book of John, the gospel of John. It's like three to one. Okay? Then you look how many times it shows up in first, second, and third John. It's love. He he was the love. And it wasn't just because of the affection and the closeness he had with Jesus. That's just the way he was. 
And one day maybe I grow up and can get there close to that myself. Okay? But notice what he says. That which was from the beginning we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked on upon, which we have handled, with, that is the word of life. He's talking about Jesus. For the life was manifested and we've seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye may also have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. These things I preach unto you that your joy may be full. These things I'm going to try to comply with that my joy may be full. Right? Notice that fellowship with God that he's trying to stress. Now you can come to church and have fellowship with up, and that's okay. As a matter of fact, that's really good stuff. But the fellowship with the Lord is so much more important. That's where you know, and that's what I want to try to encourage you with. And then finally, I want you to notice i got four references here. They're all from 1 John. The Apostle John wrote a lot about abiding and dwelling. He says, I dwell in God and God dwells in me. I abide in God and God abides in me. Notice his focus on that closeness. Okay? 227, But the anointing which ye have received of him abideth in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you all things, and the truth is, and is no lie, and even this, that ye shall abide in him. Notice him abiding in you, and he in, you and him. 324, and keep the commandments, keepeth his commandments, dwelleth in him, and he in him. When you obey God, you're dwelling in God, and God's dwelling in you. Know that reciprocal behavior, and it's based on obedience. 4.13, hereby we know that we dwell in him and he in us because he hath given us the spirit. There's a blessing in the spirit. That's why David was so scared. God stepped back from Saul. David, his successor, saw that and he says, do whatever you want to me, God, just don't step away from me. Right? I would rather be with you in dying than without you in living. I need you. And then one more. This is talking about confessing Christ, 4.15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. This is John writing. I don't see this language in any other apostles. He just has to have this reciprocal relationship with God. My God and me and me and God. And he just stresses it over and over again. Okay, that's that relationship, that's that fellowship that I want to stress to you. It's so strong, it's so important. It's the basis of everything else. Imagine coming to the pulpit not having that relationship. I'm not going to do you any good. Okay, imagine myself as a husband to my wife. I'm not going to have a very good relationship with her if, if that's the way I'm, if I'm always trying to outfox God. She's going to see that. And that behavior will be consistent even in my earthly relationships. Okay? Okay, this is true of churches also. Now in Revelations chapter 2 and chapter 3, there's seven churches. I'm just going to hit you with three of them. This is the church of Smyrna. 
And one of the things is they were being persecuted and they were being tried. And the problem was they were afraid. They were fearful. And that fear was getting in the relationship, getting in the way of the relationship with God. Fear can cause you your relationship with God. That's what last, that last Sunday was all about. Okay, Laodicea, they were lukewarm. They were lukewarm. Okay, let's, 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 let's go back to earthly relationships, and then maybe we can understand our relationship with God. Have you ever been lukewarm towards your wife or your husband? Right? How'd things work out? Have you ever been lukewarm towards your parents or your, if you're a parent, towards your children? How'd things work out? Yeah. Have you ever been lukewarm at work? How'd things work out? Yeah. How about if you were a teacher? Have you ever been a lukewarm teacher? How'd things, they, they can smell that a mile away. The students can. Right? We think we can fool them. We can't. Well, if we can get by a student once in a while, I might be able to get by a child once in a while, and maybe I can get by a wife once in a while. How many times will I get by God? Never. And then finally, the church at Ephesus, this is also in Revelations 2, this church was spot on. Their doctrine was perfect. Their works were good. They were obeying. They did number one, and they did number two. They did the repent, they did the convert, but they did not have the motive. What was the motive? It says right here that they left their first love. So what was God going to do? He was going to remove their candlestick. You know what it is? That's the death of a church. He says, you're doing all this stuff for the wrong reason. You can be holy and do all these things and do all these donations, but, but you're doing it so people pat you on the back, so you get your name on the wall at the hospital. He says, I don't want that service. I don't want that service. It's not going to help you with your relationship with God. Matter of fact, he's saying, I'm going to back away from y'all. See, this is what Noah preached. He got mocked. This is what Daniel preached. He got thrown in the oven. No, he didn't get thrown in the oven. He got thrown in the lion's den. The other three did it, and they got thrown there. This is what John the Baptist preached. He got beheaded. This is, not a, this is what Jeremiah preached, and he got thrown in jail. It's not a popular message. But God is also one that is holy, and he wants holiness from us. And it's going to take us working towards that holiness for him to draw near unto us. So there it is. All right. Let's go to the kingdom of heaven. Now, it's been a couple of years since I really bore down on this message. The kingdom of heaven. Here's the definition of a kingdom of heaven. Uh, 14, Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of heaven is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy on the Holy Ghost. It's not something tangible. It's not something out in eternity. It's something right now for you to experience, and it's peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. That's why you can press into it. That's why you can walk away from it. Okay? That's the kingdom of heaven. That's what I want for all of you. And selfishly, that's what I want for me. Okay? So I come here, and I go to Matthew 19, and it says, Jesus says a very curious thing, and he said it on more than one occasion. He says, Suffer the little children to come unto me, forbid them not to come unto me. And in another place he said, Except you be like children, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, what's the difference? 
The difference is, is think of a five-year-old child. When you come walking in the door and you've been working all day long and the door calls open, daddy, running in full arms, right? That's the way they are. Okay, let's crank it up to a 15-year-old. You've been working all day. Come walking in the door. It's, oh, you're home. <laughs> Amen? No, my kids, they greeted me, right? And I'm thankful. Every one of them gave me a hug this morning. So, so I'm very thankful. But, but, but I'm just saying, when God is using this experience, this description, that's what he's talking about. That's what it takes you to enjoy that fellowship with God. You need to become a child in that little regard. Luke 10, I said, Mary pressed into the kingdom of heaven. Martha stressed into the kingdom of heaven. Is that a good way to put it? Okay. Martha had a sister called Mary. This is in Luke 10, 39 which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. And, but Martha was cumbered about, much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, Lord, dost thou care not that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bitter, therefore, that she held me. Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, that Mary hath chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Mary, you're so worried about... No, Martha, you're so worried about all the plans and the preparations. You're pouring yourself into all these details. And your sister is just wants to be at Jesus' feet. Compare the two, no comparison. Do you understand? It's Mary that's understanding and pressing into the kingdom of heaven. Martha's trying to earn her way into it. That's not going to work. Wrong motive. And then finally, Deuteronomy 3.23 this is an interesting story. I've, I've not thought about this, and I just saw this for the first time. I'm thinking about Moses, and Moses was a good man. It's, it's, when I use these Old Testament characters, I hope you believe, I, I'm not looking down my nose and saying, oh, I can't believe Moses did that. I would never, because I have, and I will again. But we write, we read these things to say, oh, if he could do it, surely I can fall temptation to do that. So Moses is, is, is leading the people through the wilderness. And the whole time he's leading the people, through, they're grumbling and they're moaning and they're complaining. We don't have water. I'm getting, we're, we're hungry. Oh, you fed us with bread. We're getting bored of this. We want something else. We want some meat. You know, just, just mumble, 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 right? And God's using Moses and he delivers them and he conquers an army and he feeds them and he, he gives them water and, and their clothes aren't wearing out and their shoes aren't wearing out and he's talking to God and he's got this relationship with God. And then finally he blows up and God said, that's enough. That's it. You're not going to the promised land. And Moses is tore up. He says, God, please, I, I know you said I can't go. Can I please see it? My point is, for 40 years, Moses had the kingdom of heaven at his fingertips. A close, personal relationship with God during all the trials. And he just didn't get it. He thought utopia was on that side of the river. 
You know what happened when Israel went on that side of the river? They had different problems. Yes? Moses had it. He didn't recognize it. And he was always looking one step ahead. Let me read just a couple more verses. Okay. Matthew 14, 22 and 23, these are paraphrased. Judas saith unto him, not Iscariot, Lord, how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto them, if a man love me, he will keep my words and my father will love him and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Here's, notice that abiding. God's relationship, his fellowship with you, will depend on your obedience. I said fellowship, I didn't say sonship. Sonship's a whole different animal. I'm talking heaven on earth. It's a function, you've got to obey. I don't care if it's a person, I don't care if it's a church, I don't care if it's a nation, I don't care if it's a denomination. It doesn't matter. 1 Corinthians 5, 15, 1 and 2. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I have preached unto you, which also ye have received, wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory. Jesus died for your sins. God loved you enough to send his son down to earth to pay for your sins. That ought to put all perspectives, I mean, see, all persecutions in perspective. That's good, right? And then finally, Ephesians 3. This is a prayer Paul prayed for this church. The prayer starts at verse 14. It ends, I believe, in verse 21. I'm taking a section out of the middle of this. But notice, this, I think this is talking about your relationship, the fullness of your relationship with God. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory and strengthen with might by his spirit in the inner man. That's what we all want, right? Paul's praying this for church members. Well, wait a second. These already believe. These already have been baptized. These are already members of a church. They're going to church every Sunday. And he says, I'm praying that the Lord fill you with your spirit. What's that all about? We're talking about fellowship. We're not talking about sonship. Verse 17. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, being rooted and grounded in love, that you may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. That's that rich, deep relationship that you get a little peek with John the Apostle. You see that with him? I want that. As you know, not this last week, but the week before, I was in the prisons. And about the only thing that they allow us to take into the prisons is homemade cookies. So we sit around for three and a half days... And we're sitting at these tables, and the table I was sitting at was a couple folks from the outside and then five residents that had been in there. And we're sitting down there, and as we're sitting at these tables and listening to the presentations and, and, and the messages, and then after the messages we sit and talk and try to make applications in real life, we're getting served homemade cookies and coffee that we brought in from the outside. Okay, And I say this in a, in a very positive way. It's going to sound negative at first, but in a very positive way. But what happened is, of the five, one of the five was taking the homemade cookies, sticking in his pocket, going back to the pods and selling them. Okay? You're laughing, but that's what he's doing. I didn't know it. I wasn't paying attention. The other four saw it. 
they got so mad at this guy. And they said, you're disrespecting these people that came here all of their own volition, and you're taking advantage of it. They got really angry at that guy. Okay? So I felt I was happy because they felt that connected to us, that they were jealous for us, and they were protecting us. So one of them pulled me aside and told me about it. And when he did it, I let out a big sigh. And he says, yeah, they disrespected you. And I told him, I said, that's not why I sighed. I don't care about the cookies. If he's going to try to outfox me, that means he totally missed the boat what we've been there for three and a half days. Do you understand? And if he can try to outfox me, that's the way he's going to try to treat God and outfox him. And he just doesn't get it. And the other four, oh, they got it. Do you understand? So, you know, you go into a place like that and you're batting 80%. I think that's a very profitable trip. Do you understand? But, but, but that's, that's what happened. So I considered a very profitable outing to go there. But at the same time, sometimes we're that one out of the five and we're doing things and saying things and praying things and appearing things that look kind of holy, but really we got our own agenda in mind. 